Hey, I want to invite you to dig deep. I want you to invite you to dig deep in both relationships and in heart. Because that's what this well-known parable is about. See, people who aren't even really part of the church kind of know what it means to be a good Samaritan. They know that. They learn that. Because it's a, it's a story that goes across cultures, church cultures and other cultures. But it, it really says to most of us how we should, if you will, show that we are a good neighbor, what a good neighbor looks like. And I'd like you to dig a little deeper than that. And I'd like you to dig a little deeper but with, and than that just simply by going to God's Word. That's what we're talking about. Reforming hearts and relationships takes a little deeper look at God's Word. So let's, uh, let's look at this and listen carefully. If you don't have your Bible with you, you, you want to look at it on your phone, you could do that. It's in Luke 10, uh, verses 25. We're just going to stay right here. I might refer to a couple other passages, but Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. I'm using the ESV version today, but you can use whatever version you want. Okay? It says this. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So what's he asking him about? What's, uh, what's this lawyer asking Jesus about? How does this relationship thing work? Be between the, I mean, how does this heart thing work between me and God? How do I justify my heart to God? What must I do to have eternal life? He's asking the heaven question, okay? What, it, what does it take? And, and he's just wanting to compare. And the reason he's, he's testing him is because he, he wants to see whether Jesus has it right, you know? Right according to who, though? Right according to me and the people that I hang out with, to the groove that I fit in to my preconceived notions about how things ought to be. None of you have preconceived notions, do you, about how things ought to be in regards to your relationship with God and with other people, right? None of you have a comfortable groove that you fit in. You know what my job and Pastor Dave's job is, to some extent? Is to knock you out of that comfortable groove. Not that we want to so some kind of uh, discontent, but just to say, maybe the groove's a little deeper than you've been going. Maybe there's a, a way to think about this that is really centered in God's Word that, that you've been resisting. Maybe that is the same thing that I've been resisting, <laughs> because it's just human nature to resist it. And so here's this lawyer, and he has his comfortable groove. Okay? He knows what he expects to have happen. And Jesus, since he's all-knowing, does he know that the lawyer is there to test him? Absolutely. So what does Jesus do like any good teacher? You have a question, what does he do? Ask a question back. And he says, oh, so what is written in the law? How do you read it? How do you read it? I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in what you think and what you believe. So he answered, and he gives a good scriptural answer. It's right out of Deuteronomy. It's right out of Exodus. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. So two great commandments that are centered on the Ten Commandments, okay? So two great commandments. The first great commandment that he talks about is you should love God. Love the Lord your God, okay? Love the Lord your God with what? Your heart, I'm sorry, your heart, your soul, all that is within you, and, and your mind, okay? Serve him in all, all of those ways. Love him in that way. In other words, God is first. It all centers upon the first commandment. God is always number one. No other idols fit in front of him. It's the vertical relationship that we talk about all the time, the vertical relationship. The challenge is that when we talk about this commandment, we think about what we do for God, what we do for God. Have you ever had that vertical relationship damaged, or have you questioned it? It's it's kind of like, well, why should I love God? Or loving God is getting hard. I don't even know God. How can I love him? You know, there are, there are those things. And believe me, that happens not just for people who are on the edge or on the outside of Christianity. It happens for Christians. The relationship somewhere along the line gets lost, and it's all about what I know. What I know. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to have that kind of objective understanding of who God is. But when the heart gets lost in the midst of this, how do I love somebody only with my mind when there's no heart in it? In reality, the relationship that God builds with us is, I loved you first. I created you. First John sums it up by saying, we love because he first loved us. In other words, when it's really difficult to understand, we ask God to say, help me to love. Help me to understand who you are. Is that a prayer that God wants to answer? See, rather than just getting caught in the right answer, which is where the, the lawyer is, the right answer, God wants us to dig out our groove a little bit and say, let's put a relationship into this. Let's put a relationship into this. A heart relationship. A connection that is not just about someday I'll go to heaven, but it's about what about today? What about the challenges today, the struggles today? The pink people I have to deal with right now that I don't understand, and the green people and the blue people and the, and the brown people who aren't behaving the way they're supposed to. What about today? And the second commandment is like to it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the horizontal, isn't it? Well, there's a couple of problems here for us practically in regards to heart and relationships. What happens if I really don't love myself very much? And some of us are in that kind of situation. We, we really have doubts about who we are and how lovable we are and whether we deserve it. Now, we don't talk about that too, on, too often unless we're in some kind of therapy and we're being honest about it. But uh, the reality is, is that we don't always feel like we're lovable. 
And so we do all kinds of compensating things to prove that we're lovable, to try to earn it from other people, and, and, and really it's just our insecurity acting out. And then there's another problem, the people that, man, they just don't deserve our love. You get neighbors like that, right? In fact, I wanna, want you to think about something right now. I want you to think about somebody that you're in the box with. What does that mean? If you're in the box with somebody, it's somebody that whenever you see them, your overwhelming urge is just frustration or anger or it's just kind of like rejection. I, I just don't want to deal with them. And it can be in a big way and it can be in a rather small way. Uh, I would say that even family members sometimes we get in the box with for a short period of time. Maybe for a long period of time. Okay, so we get in the box with them. Think about somebody that you're really in the box with. Does that make sense? I want to make sure you have somebody in mind. Let me tell you a little bit about mine. This person betrayed me. This person betrayed me more than once. This person threatened me. This person took advantage of me. And although there is forgiveness that took place in words and in action, I cannot help but be in the box right off the bat whenever I think about this person. It is only with God's help that I get out of the box because the betrayal runs really And I have to remind myself whenever I see this person, which doesn't happen very often anymore, but every once in a while I'm surprised. I come around a corner and there they are. <laughs> Still live in this community. And there's, a, there's an intentional decision I have to make to actually approach that person as somebody that God loves rather than that I've judged. And, and, you know, in the box with people right now, people who are, are, are problems for us are people like, well, are you Republican or are you Democrat? We can be in the box with them, you know. Uh, it can be, do you believe in vaccination or do you not believe in vaccination? You can be in the box with them, okay. It could be in regards to things like, uh, uh, you, you know, how, how is it that uh, you're going to approach freedom issues in the United States, we could be in the box with them. I just tread on a whole lot of things that we'd like to skip over in church, right? But these are realities, and these are the things that affect our viewpoint of just who is our neighbor and the level that will allow them to be our neighbor. And the ability that we have not to look at them as the way that God looks at them, to, but to look at them with judgment, and you need to be corrected. Hold on to that for a minute. Because the way that this parable works, these two things come together. These two things come together and we answer it as we look deep. So 
Jesus says to him, you answered this correctly, who is my neighbor? Do this and you will live. In other words, if you can do it perfectly, you're good. If you can love your neighbor as yourself and you can love God above everything else, you're good. Do this and you'll live. So the lawyer obviously has a little bit of challenge with this. He's, you know how lawyers are. They can minimize things to a certain... Uh, how many lawyers do I have here? I'm really sorry. So, But, you know, if somebody's skillful with, with the law or, or with their field, they can, they can kind of reason things out and they can say, okay, I can, I can imagine the compartment in which this will work, and I think I can justify myself. I love God according to my definition of what it means to love God, and I love neighbors according to my definition of what a neighbor is, and my definition is the people who are like me, you know. Not just blue, green, and brown people, but probably just blue people, okay? I love people who are like me. We're like my tribe. So he's a little bit uneasy about this, the, the lawyer is. And he says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells a story. Let me just read it for you again. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a rough road. It's a challenging road. It's a road that robbers were on. And he fell among robbers. Exactly what they were afraid would happen happened to him. He stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. This was one of the blue people. This is one of the blue people that should have been trustworthy. Right? Should have worked out for him. But it didn't work. The, the guy just passed by on the other side. And why did he do that? Let's, let's, let's understand what he, what he, why he might have done that. He may very well have done that because priests weren't supposed to come into contact with blood. And if they did come into contact with blood, then it made them unclean. And it could be that he had some priestly duties to do. So he's standing there looking at this guy, and he's in a quandary. It's kind of like, do I make myself unclean? I can't do my job. I can't be a priest. Or, or do I just trust that somebody else will help him out? It'll work out. You know, have you ever been on the horns of a dilemma? You have to make a decision. And it seems like both ways are right and both ways are wrong. And it's kind of like, what, what do I do with this? See, that's where the priest was. It's where the priest was. Have you been there? So you can kind of understand, can't you, why he might have made the decision that he made. I'm not trying to let him off the hook. I'm just saying it's hard. It's hard sometimes. It's not a black and white decision. Are they blue or are they pink? You know? And a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him. He passed by on the other side, too. Levites were supposed to be servants, servants for holy things. And so who knows what his schedule was like, and you, you know how that is. I've actually passed by people in need, and I've placated my conscience by just simply saying, man, I'm going to deal with a whole bunch of people who need. This is just one person. I, I can't afford the time right now. So another horn of a dilemma, right? So can you understand how this might have happened? Perhaps you've even done it. 
you've made a difficult decision you didn't really feel good about, but it fit your groove. It fit your preconceived notions about how things ought to happen, and you justified yourself rather quickly. You know, when you justify yourself once and you do the same thing again, does it get easier or harder? It gets easier. It gets easier to make the same self-justification again. I got this figured out. It works for me until it doesn't. Understand what I'm saying? Have you been there before? But a Samaritan, you have to understand, the Samaritan was one of those people that uh, this guy was in the box with. He was in the box with him. Remember that person you're in the box with? Think about who they are. A Samaritan, it's, it's kind of like now the guy who's on the side of the road is having mixed emotions, right? Oh, Lord, I really need help. But I'm not sure I want that pink person to help me. Because of all the things I've thought, of all the things I've said, uh, uh, of the challenge we are in with each other as a people because my parents didn't like them and I learned to not like them. Think about those people that you're in the box with. That's who's helping this man. And then it says, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. In other words, he spared no expense of what he had. Then he sent him on his own animal. In other words, he didn't have him walk with a crutch. He walked. And it was a difficult road. And he put himself at risk because now he's off of his animal. He's defenseless to a greater extent because he's walking on a road where robbers just took advantage of this guy, right? So what's he doing? He's risking his own welfare for the welfare of another. This is not just I spent some money. This is just not just I'm a nice guy. No, this is I'm sacrificing my sense of safety because this person is in need. We love because why? He first loved us. It doesn't work, only work with God. It works with any opportunity we're going to have to love somebody else. We can't love our neighbor as ourselves unless this is in place. And it is in place through Jesus. It is in place for one who said no. While you were yet dead, in your sins, while you didn't care about who I was, where you couldn't, couldn't have given a flying leap in regards to whether I'm worth anything or not, I already loved you. I already wanted that relationship with you. I already was working on that relationship. Do you know that when there's a break in relationship with two people, the person who did the wrong is not powerful to, to repair it? It's the person who was wronged who can open the door for that relationship to be repaired. The person who did the wrong has no power to repair it if the person who was wronged doesn't open the door. Oh, Lord, help me to open the door when relationships are hurt, when relationships are broken. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? 
And the lawyer said, he couldn't even get out of his words, out of his mouth, the pink person. Couldn't say it. He hated pink people still so much. He hated Samaritans so much. He couldn't even get out of his mouth that it was a Samaritan. He was still stuck in that groove. See, it's not easy to get knocked out of the groove. It's the power of the Word. It's the power of God's grace and love that gets us out of the groove. And he says, the man, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus just simply left him with this. He says, you go and do likewise. Now, this could just simply be left as a story of how you do the right thing. <laughs> how you do the right thing. Except there are a couple of keys here that it's more than just doing the right thing. One of them is that it starts with the commandments, the very commandments of God. He loved us first. He also pours into us the ability to love our neighbors. We, we know that. That doesn't happen just in and among ourselves. But the other one's a little bit harder to see. And that is when the Samaritan's going by, the man on the road, the word that's used to say he had compassion on him is a word that is only used in the explanation of Jesus' compassion for people. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament, other than this one, is Jesus' compassion for people. Who do you think Jesus had compassion on in this story? It's none of the people that I've talked about so far. He had compassion for whom? The lawyer who was stuck in his groove. The lawyer. He has compassion for you, for me, who are stuck in our groove. And he wants nothing more than not just our heart to be reconnected with him, but he wants to be in an ongoing relationship with us. And whether you know it or not, we're the ones that wronged him, not he wronged us. We're the ones that sinned against his law, not he wronged us. And he's not waiting for us to just do the right thing and say, Jesus, please forgive me. He's saying, no, I'm opening the door with my life, with my sacrifice, with my blood. And in case you missed the relationship the first thing and you're running around doing a good religious thing and you got it all confused in your head, I want you to know that that forgiveness is always open. Not that you need to be re-forgiven. You don't but you maybe do need a tune-up on your heart relationship. On the fact that I'm not just here for you to have the right answers. I'm here for you to be connected in heart and relationship with me. There's a young man in England about 20 years ago who was a, a wonderful soccer player. An amazing soccer player. He's a big guy, powerful guy, very arrogant guy, very self-centered guy. His mother died unexpectedly. 
and he needed to get to from one side of one side of the of the of the uh, of the United Kingdom, the island of Britain, to the other side. And so he had to take a long train ride, and he had to make several connections. And he just couldn't get there in time to actually uh, be with his family while they were still celebrating, if you will, the mass for his burial, for her burial. He couldn't get there in time. It had taken him so long to find out. And so he thought, I've got to try. And so he bought a ticket that where if one train was late, he might make a connection. And so he was sitting on the train, and he was just fuming because for the first time in his life, it seemed like he was powerless to fix things himself. He was just fuming, and he was hurt. And a conductor who happened to be one of the pink people, you know what I mean, a conductor who happened to be one of the pink people comes up to him, and he says, hey, is there anything I could do to help you? And he looks up, and he sees the guy, and he knows he doesn't like his kind anyway, and so he just dismisses him and uh, says, leave me alone. I'm angry. And the guy doesn't give up. He says, no, you know, that's my job to help and to make things work. Obviously, you're in distress. Is there something I can do to help you? Finally, after several back and forths, he tells the guy, he says, my mother just died. I'm going to miss my connection. I'm going to miss the mass to celebrate her end of life. And so I, I'm, I'm not going to get there. And the conductor says, okay, I understand. About 15 minutes, he comes back later. He comes back and he says, Please listen to me. I'm not trying to cause problems. When we get into Edinburgh, I want you to immediately go to platform, platform three. They're waiting for you by name, and the train won't leave until you get there. He says, there will be a lot of angry people on that train. He says, but I want you to know the conductor who's on that train will take care of it. He'll explain it. You don't have to explain yourself. The young man said, this changed my heart forever because one who didn't have to sacrifice for me, who I had already wronged, sacrificed and took all of the pain, all of the anger, all of the resentment upon himself. Why? Simply so I could make a plane connection, or train connection. Jesus has done much more for you and I than just help us to make a connection on a train. He's helped us to make an eternal and lasting connecting relationship that he is willing to strengthen again and again and again. Why? Because he's all about heart and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with your people about your word, and I ask that you would continue to equip us for life going forward. In your name, amen.